Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the weekly podcast from the Marketing Minds at DQConvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, and with me today, as always, is the ad doctor, Andrew Peak. Hey, welcome to episode 33. We have a uh, special guest that's always here with us, but now she's actually on the podcast. Super excited. Our very own designer extraordinaire, Jackie. It's exciting to have you on. Yes. Hi, everyone. We thought it'd be fun. You know, when we did our live recording, Becca and Jackie were able to to hop in and we're like, why don't we just uh, get them in the rotation? So for the for the news and story time segments, we'll we'll swap uh, other other members of the DYC team in and out just so that you can hear uh, a voice that's not Andrew and I, because we know you're I'm mostly it. bored with us at this point. And it's it's funny. I, I'm usually oh on the other end of it listening to you guys every week. So it's kind of an honor to be able to pop in and, and talk with you guys on some of this. Just to, you know, help you stay calm, right? Don't don't be nervous. Okay. There's only about 15 people listening. So it's <laughs> okay, okay. Good to know. <laughs> and that makes me feel so much better. <laughs> oh man. Let's go ahead and get started. Um, Jackie, you have a story time. I do. You know, I just wanted to mention something that, you know, is probably a lot more common than people think. And just the fact that some of our builder partners out there may be able to relate to. I, I had uh, someone recently come to me and uh, have this situation happen where with new employees, they tend to be a little bit um, kind of not as familiar within the industry where they are mm-hmm. and just need knowledge to be expanded. And the biggest thing with coming into it, into the marketing departments and is with having a new community and then not having any content or maybe imagery to show oh, for it. That never happens, right? Right. Never, happens. never, <laughs> never, ever, ever. And needing guidance, kind of what to do when you want something done right now. Saying, you know, I want to put together some tor- uh, type of social media a campaign or have some type of marketing piece of sorts, email be put together for a new community or something being kicked off and nothing really to show for it, which I think is a lot. I think, I think that happens probably more times than not with some people out yeah. there not knowing it is. And I think maybe if we're just more experienced, we've, we expect that going in and we, we know ways to work around it. But if you're newer mm-hmm. and you're like, well, what else would I do except for show images of this exact community that, that I have no images for? So mm-hmm. how, would they, how would they fix that problem? What I would do is even if it's the area itself that it has some type of key interests or anything that is you think is a prospect that would intrigue them, that would get them interested in this new community or new phase going out to the land itself, getting some really nice pictures, take a couple hours, get yourself out of the office, uh, just to be able to to have something to show for it. If you don't have floor plan renderings or photos of that, similar things to use. Oh, definitely. Yeah, that's, that is a great idea. So they should really go out on their own, get the pictures mm-hmm. and then find, because they more than likely that's not a new product type, which is probably the hardest one, especially if you don't have yeah. renderings. But I'm sure there's something they can reuse as far as other photos from other communities of product already built. Get it going. Andrew? Yeah, my story this week, if you all remember, the house is going to be listed, my home that we're living in. 
Well, it went up today. It's been coming soon on Zillow for, I believe, eight days. And then actually today's Friday. So it went up yesterday and we already have an offer. Yay. Super nice. exciting. It's over list, which is even crazier. Significantly, Significantly over list. Yeah. Why do you think? Because awesome. we I pre-sailed mean, without failing. Everyone, no. Everyone's already looked up the it's public information, right? So they know yeah, all about your house. Um, how much over list? It is 16K over list, which would be, you know, so what? It was listed at 269. Offer is 285. So, yeah. That's and incredible. why do you think that is? Why do I think that is? Um, I'm yeah, biased. Did though. your realtor give you an insight? Because I'm, <laughs> yeah. well, well, well <laughs> no, but I, normally that happens when they know there's other competing offers coming correct. in. Correct. Were there multiple offers? We've, have, is this we've had showings one? all day. We're not living mm-hmm. there, fortunately, which is super nice. I could not imagine living in a home that you're selling. That'd be yeah. insanely stressful. Um, so we're fortunate that we can do that. So showing us all day, but this buyer in particular, they got into two previous bidding wars in the past month. Ah. So they are like, we've already lost two. This is crazy. And then they saw yeah. them this morning. Um, the layout of our house is a split floor plan. It's only 1,600 feet. So if you're doing the math, like 285 or 1,600, prices I think are a little, a little crazy down here. Um, <laughs> but it's very livable. You know, there's two different living spaces. The kitchen's right in the middle. Kids' rooms over this way. So it's it's nice for the size mm-hmm. as far as the floor plan and it's been moderately updated and a new roof is going on on, on Monday. Well, there's yeah. no blue carpet. But I was doing, I was doing some competitive market analysis, uh, on my flight nice. back from Seattle cool. Mm-hmm. Cool. and I'm Very like, okay, well there's a house for 275. Let's take a look at that one, mm-hmm. you know, in the price range. And it had like bright blue carpet from 1975 the still oh, uh, throughout no. the house. So. <laughs> It, mildly updated doesn't do you've done oh, i mean man. it's all neutral yeah. and seems like it's within the last do you like years. the bathroom I, did you see the bathroom <laughs> that bathroom is so nice jackie if you were if if your husband mm-hmm. um oh, geez. was remodeling a bathroom <laughs> how long would you expect that process to take oh my gosh i you know i love my husband so much <laughs> So I oh, hope geez. he doesn't take this personally, but I feel like he would take so long to do something like that on his own without any help. Well, that's not a fun answer. Let's quantify it. Like six months? Oh, um, yeah, I would say, I would say within like the six month mark, it would just hmm. take, you okay. know, I, I don't think he'd. Interesting. Andrew, are you better or worse than her, her husband's fictitious? I am um, uh, like probably two and a half times worse. Than <laughs> <laughs> well, Andrew, oh, that goes back to the master bath update that was yeah, that didn't happen. still in the works. Yeah, right. That was still in the works. Yeah. the But it, I mean, it was functional after, I think, five weeks, the bathroom. And then it was, yeah. oh, I guess I better do the grout on the the wall tiles and yeah. oh, i guess i better do that it's those last details when we finished our hardwood floors ourselves in our first house oh man everything was done except for putting back on the shoe mold yeah, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. i think that took me as long as it did to put down the hardwood throughout the first I, floor i believe oh. it i believe it and andrew i will say hard to believe three kids and you guys were living there it looks so nice the the photos yeah. turned out, I feel like that alone. The uh, the realtor did hire a pretty good photographer. Um, mm-hmm. I was I think she knew she knows what I do. Um, so she was like, oh, I better not cheap out on this stuff. <laughs> and there's some videos and everything. There's also I don't even know if it was on the Zillow listing the, the big the, the big video, but mm-hmm. she did it well and she marketed it well within the area. So yeah, yeah. Now, Andrew, did you think it was going to happen this quickly? You said just yesterday it went. Well, we we thought it would be quick um, with the school district that we're in, yeah. just the area. And this is the, the quote, starter home. 
All right. On to Kevin. You were, awesome. you were busy this week. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we um, obviously did not put up an episode this past week. Apologize for that. But, you know, uh, between our summit ending, trying to catch your breath, keep up with with workload, over investing in family time to make up for being gone for uh, four and a half days and then hopping on a plane and flying out to Seattle on the other on the other coast for Zillow's conference uh, just didn't have time to to make that work. But yeah, the um, the summit, you know, just final takeaways for me is that uh, there was a bunch of new people there on the marketing end. About 70% of the audience had not been to our summit before. That's awesome. Yeah, that is. What was great is seeing the people who had been there multiple times or that, you know, we work with or have worked with for many years, take a lot of those people under their wings mm-hmm. and make those connections. And we always talk about networking being such an important part, but it was just, it was awesome to be able to see uh, those folks uh, interacting and, and so quickly connecting with other people there. The um, the Zillow conference was fantastic as well. A lot of new things coming down the pike. Product line they they kind of gave us almost like a two to three year snapshot of of where they hope to hope to go. They wouldn't let us take photos uh, smartly because I would have just live streamed that <laughs> that whole <laughs> whole session. But they're they're doing a full redesign of Zillow's uh, website and and app experience. A lot of awesome stuff specifically for new construction coming, like the ability to uh, swipe on a new construction to be built listing on Zillow. Right now it it kind of functionally interacts like a regular listing. You've got pictures and and descriptions, but having an extra kind of interactive bar where you could swipe and look at the different elevations of the home uh, instead of having to have them stuck just in the gallery, make it a little bit more, I think the way they talked about it was just highlighting the fact that with new construction, you have options. And yeah. so how do we start to visualize that? The The super big I think impactful thing is they're going to start overlaying the site maps of new construction communities over the satellite image. And that's going to be big because no longer, yeah, you're not just going to see an empty Mm -hmm. cornfield and think, well, what is that? Like, why are there homes (laughs) in the middle of a cornfield? And just visually, they will stick out much more clearly as you zoom into that level. yeah. Than yeah. the current little red dot that says, you know, 10 homes in this location does now. So I think you'll just get a lot more visibility. So that was that was fantastic. They're working on a lot more attribution um, tools to help you see the impact of, of the people who walk in your sales office, how many of them uh, saw one of the ads and potentially were influenced mm. in that direction. So a lot of a lot of awesome stuff Very there. Cool. And as true data freaks that we are, they also gave away the first uh, advanced copies and and had extra talk ab- about their newly released new construction consumer housing trends report. Ooh, um, very exciting. And like gold. we'll link. Yeah, <laughs> we'll link. In, it is like gold that no one, um, seemingly no one in the past ever references or talks about. So it's like mm-hmm. hidden treasure that is right in front of your face. Um, and we'll link to the full PDF. You know, you can go grab that uh, and look through it. But I just wanted to highlight a couple of things that I thought were particularly interesting. There's a lot of talk right now about how millennials are taking over real estate and are the biggest uh, portion of buyers right now. And that's true uh, for both new and existing homes or used homes, as we like to call them. But used homes have 44% of used homes are being purchased by millennials uh, compared to only 32% in new construction. So new construction has a much bigger percentage still of baby boomers and Gen Xers, whereas um, the millennials have kind of kicked mm. everyone else to the curb on on used homes, and I think a lot of that has to do with price point. Yeah, and just you know, new construction homes having more expensive. Makes Another sense. interesting fact is that 
Uh, new construction specifically, those buyers are 53% of them move from a different city, state, or country. So, you know, wow. uh, reload buyers are a big deal. And yeah, that's, that's hmm. incredible. Yeah, we, we talk a lot about, you know, five to 10 mile radius is super important and making sure you dominate that. But you still have to um, make sure you have avenues for people relocating to find you mm-hmm. um, on Zillow, Google, Facebook, et cetera. So, sure. and, and that's definitely the harder of the things to be doing when it comes to, to social because mm-hmm. paid social, especially mm-hmm. we want to stick to that geography uh, to help our budgets. Um, and then two more quick facts that I thought were, were great, but there's hundreds more in here is that 71% of new construction buyers are a repeat buyer, meaning this is not their first time they're purchasing a home. Mm. Um, so a lot, again, price point, a lot of move up buyers. The other one that I wanted to highlight was that uh, new construction buyers on average spend 30% more than their initial budget for a home. Wow. Uh, yeah. And that's compared to 22% on existing homes. So in both cases, uh, there's a little bit of HGTV syndrome mm-hmm. where like I want it all and I expect to get it for $110,000 and then reality hits and you have to make compromises. But new construction, they are willing to stretch further, which is good news because they often are more expensive. Um, uh, at least the initial sticker price seems more expensive. Operating costs and you don't have to remodel. That's true. A bathroom. I you know. Yeah, no remodeling in the bathroom, but um, make sure you go and check that out. We're going to be partnering with Zillow to try to get a lot more of these insights out. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe have one of them back on the podcast. Oh, yeah, Um, that'd be fun. We did a fun game show on some of this data at the summit. Maybe we can find a way to do a um, a total aside. uh, I would love to hear both of your feedback on this because I talked to some of uh, our builder clients Mm -hmm. who were um, at the Zillow conference about this idea. I think we should find someone to build us and a cell phone game where you are like a brand new digital marketer for a home builder. Like the story mode is, you know, we've got this brand new coming soon community and then you've got to decide like a choose your own adventure with eight bit or 16 bit graphics. That would be awesome. Oh, Look like Minecraft like, or something. <laughs> do you put out the sign now or do you wait until the day before it opens to announce that it even and exists? It or be, and you mean have it like run real time. Like there's this game, I think it's, yeah. I don't know if it's called like lemonade stand or something. It's old. But you run, yeah, oh, yeah. You run the lemonade stand and you're like more sugar, more uh-huh. ice, more water. You have the weather. So it affects yes. it the same. Time. How much lemonade are you going to make? Oh, and then so you, cool. you, sometimes you have too much or same not enough. Same type of thing except for home builders. Even buy land. Oh my gosh, this would be, all that the owners would be, really be sitting fun. there playing it. They won't be doing anything anymore. That would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. And then random disasters can happen. <laughs> like Florence. Uh, yes. Her, well, her, I was that, yeah, that I was for sure. I was just thinking, you know, sorry, we're going to delay that community that's taken up 20% of your budget by three years. Oh, yeah. So, three years. Got to yeah. make no. it realistic. We have to make <laughs> this realistic. We yeah. need to, to even have it. Yeah, I was going to even say something like that. Whereas I think that would be really cool to do for down sure. the, down make the it, road. Yeah, make it like real. Make mm-hmm. it, you could compete against other builders on the map. In the area. Yes. Like all of it. <laughs> This is yes. I love it. All right, let's hop into the news. First one here from Gizmodo.com. Andrew, tell us about Gizmodo. What this this is. is some speculation, yeah. but it looks like Facebook is going to get into some trouble again if if it catches the the news. So most of us know you can export your customer list or from your CRM and you could upload mm-hmm. it to Facebook and they call that a custom audience. And then what it is takes that information, it matches it against Facebook accounts, and then you could target those people. 
um, what this article is speculating, what their belief is in it. And it, it looks like it's true. It's hard to tell um, that they're also using the two-factor authentication. So your number that's mm. not actually your account number or contact info, and they're letting people target by that. So in this example, yeah. the person uses a landline as their number as for, for the two-factor because it's right there in their office. They can't, maybe it's harder to spoof mm -hmm. that or something versus a cell phone number. Um, and they uploaded that. Someone else was able to target them in a custom audience. It was within partnership. So they, they kind of both knew what was going on. Um, and then they, he was shown the ad. There's a lot of smart people who still think that Facebook uh, and Alexa and all these other devices are absolutely spying on us and giving information back all the time. And even though everyone involved in any way with this keeps saying absolutely not, there's mm -hmm. still a lot of skepticism around that. I am, I'm not certain how I feel about this. I think if I take a, what I think is realistic view, Facebook doesn't want to have personally identifiable information um, get into the wrong hands. Mm -hmm. And I think they probably have a way of abstracting some data before they give it to their AI algorithms that are looking for how to find a lookalike audience or someone who is similar to this individual. You know, I think about my kids, right? Is my, my kids have an iPad, they have an i an old iPhone that is now bricked and they they use it to do coloring pages. Uh, but when I install an app on my phone, it still gets installed on theirs until I uninstall it. It's a dumb setting I need to change, but there's absolutely no reason that Facebook wouldn't assume that I have that all six of those devices are me. Yeah. Um, and I think similarly, if, if I'm using two factor authentication, uh, why would that not, why would the number in there not be the number associated with me? Mm -hmm. So I, part of me thinks they're just naturally going to not be so precise to only target one individual. I think in a lot of these cases, yep. it's targeting that individual and similar folks in the same household yeah. even, right? Like why would I get an ad for uh, lipstick. There's lots of speculation about that, but probably because my wife <laughs> was, was, you know, looking for the latest lip sense mm -hmm. product and it's coming from the same, uh, household and Facebook knows that. And so then I get shown an ad for, you know, sweaters or lipstick or whatever. I, I don't do any clothes shopping online myself, but I still see those ads. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, me personally, I think I'm in that sense, granted, I could be biased saying this, but being on a social, any type of social media or social network and the information nowadays with, with what you can do with remarketing. And I think there's that privacy trade-off with that. And the fact that I know some people who aren't as familiar with it or like we are within the industry, mm -hmm. I think get so mm -hmm. afraid and scared of the, their own personal data that is out there that can be accessed and used. But at the end of the day, I think there is that that personalized experience, you know, what you see that really is uh, correlated to to what you're Googling or or what you're interested in. For sure. And I'm just skimming this last paragraph of the article. It says Facebook has claimed that users already have extensive control over what information is made available to advertisers, but that's not entirely mm -hmm. true. I think there's a little bit of an axe to grind here. Like yeah. if, whatever you put yeah. in Facebook is by its very nature going to Facebook. Right. So they can use that for anything. And at the end of the day, this other person trying to target um, the, the person in the article, Mr. What's his name? What's this guy's name? Security guy. 
so the author set up a campaign to target this known web privacy security person. What was his? I don't have his name. Yeah. And, and he it, was able to. And they put in this landline mm-hmm. in Facebook. And so if you're going to, you would have to know yeah. that, right? Like whether Facebook knew it or not, this individual knew that that landline right. was connected to this right. person. And there's no way that Facebook can prevent that. For, I mean, if I'm, I, I just, yeah. But it is interesting that there could be some blowback for mm-hmm. Facebook not being more open about it. But I think I'm pretty sure Zuckerberg said in his testimony a couple of times, like if you share it on Facebook, that is your opt in to yeah. share it with the world. Right. <laughs> don't put it on there if you don't want it to for be sure. Exactly. Uh, and it's, it's this is done everywhere. You know, Google has a customer match. Same type mm-hmm. of thing. And yeah, yes. you're right. Amazon and we've talked about this before, like, Andrew. Amazon actually knows what yes. you buy, which is way <laughs> more exactly. like they know yeah. everything and everywhere and, I ship and ever I'd like everything. Like, yes. yeah, you've got Apple being the white knight saying that they are really concerned about privacy, but they don't have they don't use it for anything the same way that these other networks do. So I always find that interesting. They're always the first one yeah. to jump in politically mm-hmm. and say. We want to give our users more privacy. We think it's a basic human right. It's like, well, you don't make billions from it the way that other companies right. do. So of course, you have no problem keeping it, <laughs> keeping it private. Very true. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we've got Chris Hartley here to school us marketers on the importance of sales. Of course, sales are important. No, that's not what he's going to school us on. He's going to talk about um, his experience coming up in the business um, and a lot of that experience was as a sales leader and he's moved on to even bigger and better things now, but um, just picking his brain of, of how do you work well with uh, sales as a marketer? What does sales need and get that unique perspective from him? We'll be right back. And we're back with Chris Hartley, the VP of Operations and Marketing for Dunhill Homes and Nathan Carlisle Homes in Dallas and Fort Worth, Texas area. Chris, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm a big fan of your guys' podcast, and it's exciting to be on. I'm a big fan of your gifts, sir. Same here. (laughs) Same here. So you may have seen pictures of the gift. Uh, We'll post a separate one, higher res in the Market Proof Marketing Facebook group. But tell everyone, what, what, what did you do for us, Chris? It was unbelievable. Yes. <clears throat> so what we did here, and you know, I've been friends with Kevin for quite a while now, and I remember him talking at a conference one time about the best gift he ever got was some customized maple syrup from Zillow. And I was like, I got, I got to beat that. I can beat that. <laughs> there's got be, to be something better that'll cover pancakes or waffles. Mm. What, what better idea, right? So I'm a huge... Uh, fan of Shark Tank. And on Shark Tank one time was a gentleman by the name of Fleetwood Hicks, and he was a custom bike designer. And I thought to myself, that is just the coolest idea in the entire world to have a custom bike. You know, they're making bikes cool again. So one of our brands with the company is Nathan Carlisle Homes, and it is an active adult brand. We have these new active adult communities coming. We've just completely rebranded we got a new website coming. We own our own font. We own our own active adult photography. <laughs> we, we, put, we put a lot of money into this thing. And yeah, so yeah. We, reach, 
we reached out to uh, just did a Google search on custom beach cruiser bicycles and up popped the episode from Shark Tank with Fleetwood. So I sent him an email, you know, it was one of those little info things, info at Billy Custom. And I said, I'm looking to uh, buy some bikes. And I got a general inquiry, said, how are you thinking? And I said, about 600. And I, <laughs> I, got, I, got, an, I got an immediate response back that said, um, we'll call you. And I think they were probably trying to see if I was pranking them or not. So, you know, fast forward, you know, months after months, and we have our own custom beach cruiser bicycles for every single active adult buyer who purchases one of our homes. And they're beautiful. Amazing. And so I was working on this. And I said, there, there's got to be a cool gift that we can do for do you convert? And so I had Jen Barkin send me your logo and your colors. And I said, you can't tell anybody what I'm up to, but I, I got a really cool gift for you that I'll present for you guys at your summit. And the bikes turned out phenomenal. They turned out way better oh than I gosh. could have imagined. They were awesome. And by the way, good call not asking me, because if you want to freak out a marketer or branding person, Mm-hmm. ask them for their vector format of their logo and their colors <laughs> and just be like, what are you going to do with my logo? Right. It would have terrified me, but yeah, well, you no, know, they, they are awesome bikes. Amazing they're they're bikes. phenomenal. And I asked Jen, I said, well, what did you think I was going to do? And she's like, maybe make a t-shirt. <laughs> I said, well, you know, you know in, in Texas and you know, I'm not from Texas, but in Texas, they always like to do things bigger and better. So, you know, why not? Um, and, you know, uh, we built a great, great friendship with uh, Fleetwood and the team over there at Billy Custom. And we're super excited to give every one of our active adult buyers their own custom beach cruiser bicycle in our in our brand colors. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. But first, I, so Chris was teasing me for probably the last two or three months. He's like, what do you think something big's going to happen at the summit and it's going to be my fault? And I was like, hmm. Oh, no. Again, my you, fault. you are getting me more scared than excited. And then Chris was like, no, it's, it's going to have something to do with a celebrity meaning, you know, this guy was on Shark Tank and he's, he's now, you know, well-known company and personality. And I remember I was like, he's like, what do you think it's going to be, Kevin? And I said, are, are you going to have, I know you've been part of the Jeff Shore Leadership Roundtable and all of, you know, all of the different programs. He's, I was like, the only celebrity I know in this industry really is Jeff Shore. Like, are you, are you going to have him show up or pre-record a video? So this was definitely not that I would have loved to have that too. We love Jeff and, and all the content that he and his team do, but this was not expected. Uh, and also my kids are completely spoiled because I showed them the picture uh, of the bike and their response was, that's awesome. He got four, one for each of us. Like these were four of my kids. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, no, no, it's just for me. And you can't have, why can't we? It was like, uh, the Oompa Loompa Willy Wonka. Like I want a bike now. It's like, my goodness, I have failed. Let's circle back. And then I want to dig into your history, your superpowers and all the rest. But the, the bikes are for everyone who buys in this, um, active adult community, or is this part of like a founder's club to get things started or tell me about how the bikes are practically going to be used. Cause that's pretty unique thing. Yeah. So anytime you have an active adult community and anytime you're trying to make anybody move and especially active adult buyers, you have to make it fun. I just recently myself moved into a new house two weeks ago. So I totally know what Andrew's talking about. Um, when you're fixing things in your home yeah. and your wife is like, oh, that's that's really nice of you to do now. Uh, we got our windows cleaned <laughs> right before we listed the house. And my wife's like, oh, that's what it looks like to have clean windows. And I'm like, yeah. Uh, and she's like, well, maybe we can do that more than every four years in the new house. And, and, you know, we'll get on that. I, I put it on the list. Right. Um, but so Sounds w- like my wife. we have, yeah, yeah they, <laughs> they could be friends. Um, so you have to make it fun for these active adult buyers to move. And when you're doing something for them, 
you try to make it socially involved. And the word active is in the type of homes that you're building, active adults. So with the bikes, we thought of just making the first 25 purchasers in the community get a bike. And we're like, you know what? That, that's not a lot of fun. Let's make sure that everybody gets a bike. And we told the developer about it and they got really excited. So our amenity center is going to be full of bike racks throughout the communities, full of bike racks. And so the first 25 people are going to be called the cruisers. Those are the people that you know are the founders of the community. They're going to have a special blue bike. Blue is one of our colors. And then mm-hmm. everybody else, so roughly 325 other people within the same community will have an orange bike. And so you say, okay, how in the world, if you're going to have 340 some plus bikes that are the same color, how are people going to know the difference between whose bike mm-hmm. is whose? Good so question. when they, yeah, right. When they close on the home, they're actually going to get a personalized license plate that goes on the back of the seat that tells oh, nice. whose bike is whose. So we're super excited about it. We've got a lot of really great things going on with it. You know, we got our custom photography done with the bikes and it's, it's going to be great. That'll be all over the gram. Absolutely. It'll be all over the gram. And why so much effort? Tell us a little bit about why, what is Dunhill versus Nathan Carlisle and why so much effort into these new community launches that you've got going on? Just the kind of the shift of, of how the company is, is changing a little bit, I think would be interesting for people to hear. So my previous role being vice president of sales and marketing for Dunhill and Nathan Carlisle Homes. Dunhill is a traditional home builder probably like 99% of the home builders that are throughout the country. And Nathan Carlisle is our active adult brand. And for the longest time, Nathan Carlisle was a very, very smart, small part of our organization. You know, we'll do 400 homes this year in Dallas. And 400 homes in a lot of the markets would put you as the number one home builder. 400 homes in Dallas-Fort Worth puts you number 25 out of 94 home builders. So it kind of gets things into perspective for you on, you know, where, where we rank in a size. So when you're competing on the Dunhill Homes level, traditional side of the business, in communities that have as many as nine to 13 other competitors in a model home alley, so to speak, you, you're really just competing against price. And although we are the number one housing market in the country, there are parts of our Metroplex that feel like it was when I was in Arizona in the recession. The, I, I got an email right before I jumped on this podcast with you guys with a uh, notification that 11 home builders are paying 6% to 9% commission on standing inventory. Oh, my goodness. Oh my. And, and incentives up to $100,000. Now, that totally reminds me of Phoenix, Arizona, circa 2009, mm-hmm. 9 and 10 when I lived there. And so when you're, when you're competing and you're a small privately held home builder, and I say small because number 25 out of 94, even though we're doing 400, yeah. margins, matter, margins matter to us. You know, we're not the large home builders of the world because we do have DR Horton in our market that does 6,000 homes. We can't afford to give our homes away for free. So what we turned around, we looked at is we evaluated our brand in general, both brands, both the active adult and the traditional. And we looked at it and we said, okay, which side is making the most amount of money? And who has the least amount of competition? Well, that, that's an easy one. We didn't even need to study that. It's the active adult brand because we, in essence, have Dell Webb and we have Robeson Ranch. And we do have Taylor Morrison just entered into our market too. So we have very few competitors in that market. And our margins are almost double in the active adult side than what it is on the traditional side because the competition is not there just beating each other up. But yeah. again, if you're, if you're going to do something with Active Adult, you have to make it fun. And that meant a complete rebrand of our colors. That is custom font, custom photography, 
you name it. We're, we even have the first ever freestanding sales center in Dallas uh, that's going to be built here soon. And I'm beyond pumped for people to see it. And I give it a very, very short amount of time before the idea and the concept is ripped off for the next home builder. And it's, it's not anything new for places like California and Utah and um, you know yep. Colorado. But for here in Dallas, we're a little bit behind the times and a lot of stuff. And it's going to be very futuristic for, for the market here. And I'm, I'm excited to showcase it. And it makes sense. We're always frustrated that these 55 plus active adult buyers are harder to sell to. But you make a great point, Chris, that most of the time we make it really boring. And this is like the, their, their prime of their life, the golden years. You know, This is going to be what you've always dreamed of. And they don't want to wait and see. They want, to, they want the amenities in up front. They want you know, a great sales center experience up front, not a trailer. You know, with tumbleweeds floating by, I think you've got a great point about it has to be fun and emotionally exciting. Of course, the product has to be great too, but that's awesome. Let's step back a few years, Chris. How did you get your start in home building? You know, I started, I went to the University of Kansas and there was a gentleman that was handing out, and, and I look back on this now and I just have to laugh, but knowing the gentleman, it makes perfect sense. It was a career fair at the University of Kansas and he was handing out hundred thousand dollar bills with the Pulte Homes logo on it. And it said, it said, this is what you can make the first year. Now I wasn't any different than any other college kid. I graduated with credit card debt and it was supposed to be student loans, uh, but it was probably more pizza and the bar. And you know, I, I graduated with a, I graduated with a journalism degree. And at the time, the average journalism student came out, I graduated college 2003 the average journalism student was pulling in, I think it was twenty six dollars to $32,000 a year mm. in salary. Well, I had more debt than that, and that just didn't, didn't make any sense to me. My dad had this philosophy that you pay now or you pay later. So he worked very, very hard, and he always said, if you work really hard young in life, you can enjoy the later years of your life a lot better. You don't want to be working the rest of your life. And that just really stuck with my sister and, and myself. And so when this guy is handing out these $100,000 bills, I'm like, I got I to gotta get into this interview and, and see what I can do. You know, fast forward, I ended up getting the job and started my career in Kansas City with Pulte Homes. And my sister, who is a year and a half younger than myself, she also took a job with Pulte Homes in Dallas. And then when I moved over to Ashton Woods, she moved over to Ashton Woods and she's been there now for 10 years. And we kind of follow and mimic each other's career, but it's it's been a great one. And you know, sales, she used to make fun of me, Kansas City being a very small market, you know, Pulte, their best year there ever did 242 homes. She always said I was a big <laughs> fish in a big fish in a small pond. Well, you know, being a big fish in a small pond really allowed me to have some really awesome opportunities that I guarantee I wouldn't have had if I was on a sales team in Dallas with 78 people. You know, I had 10 salespeople For on my sure. team when I started. Very different. Wow. Yep. But I, those are both two great places to start, meaning either one has its pros and cons. I always thought, you know, the best place to cut your teeth in the country is probably pick your market in Texas in terms of just the amount of activity and companies and competition, product types. Uh, I mean, just, there's just, I feel like if there was a tagline for Texas that wasn't, you know, bigger and better, what is the, what is the, everything's bigger in Texas. Yeah. Everything's, it would be Texas. We build we we create home builders or something. Um, 
so there's definitely pros to that, but I also completely agree with you. I mean, my favorite years were in Pittsburgh, not much different than Kansas City in terms of, you know, it's just kind of steady. Nothing incredible happening here. Um, so that's 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 awesome. Um, so you started cut your teeth in sales at Pulte and then take us on the journey from there. How do you go yeah, from, so- from being sales at Pulte to VP of operations and marketing for for a home builder? You know, it's been a heck of a ride. I've been very fortunate to win a lot of awards this past year. Yes, I may have had a great year, but it took me X amount of years to get here. And I've been in the business for 15 years. I've learned more in the last three than I did in the previous 12. But the ride along the way has been fascinating. And, you know, 2003 started in the business. 2005, I was asked to be a selling sales manager. Um, and that code for, we don't want to pay you much more, but please take over sales yeah, training. Exactly. And yeah. Go, go ahead and make the majority of your pay be commission based. No, by the way, we need you in the office managing everybody else. So I don't know how you're going to sell any <laughs> houses and you still need to be in the top 10% of sales. So somehow figured it out, had the unique opportunity to go open up Ashton Woods homes, brand new division in Colorado in 2007. And that's where I really fell in love with marketing because I got there and you know, working for Pulte, being a publicly held home builder, moving to Ashton Woods, privately held, starting a new division. And I was like, okay, where's the graphic standards book? And they're like, well, we don't have one. And I said, um, what does the logo need to look like? Well, contact this person in this division. They can send it to you. And it was just, it was an interesting deal because Denver was the first division that Ashton Woods had opened up for quite some time. And there just wasn't a process and a policy for it. So I implemented that, set it up, and no kidding, I closed on my house in Denver, Colorado in September uh, of 2008. In October of 2008, they came in and said, hey, by the way, um, we've let go of everybody at the corporate office. The only people that are still employed here as of right now is yourself and the construction manager, and we're shutting down the division. And my mouth must have just dropped, and and I remember Mm. telling the CEO at the time, um, do I still have a job because I just closed on my house and put a relatively large down payment on gutting the house? Uh, and he says, oh yeah, you're good. Um, how much do you make now? I told him and he said, well, we're going to take care of you and, and we're basically going to double it. So I had a tremendous amount of loyalty to Ashton Woods for, mm-hmm. you know, saving well, my that's job. That's a great move on their part. Yeah. 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 And then, then from there we shut down the division and they sent me to Arizona. Now, this was fairly uh, early into the recession. So I don't think anybody really realized how long we were going to be in there. So I moved to Arizona and the CEO of the company says, whatever you do, don't buy a house. And if you can rent month to month, because you're not going to be there that long. (laughs) Two two years later, right? Two years later, I'm still in Arizona and some life situations happened, found myself moving back to Kansas city um, and, and fell on some hard times, started my own business with my former VP of sales over at Pulte, uh, had some personal things happen that, that weren't in the right direction that I always say is, is best over a drink. And mm-hmm. long story short, made really great money in the, in the recession, believe it or not, to living in my parents' basement at the age of 30. And now this was living in your parents' basement at the age of 30 before it was cool to live in your parents' basement at the age of 30. <laughs> um, this was like, because I'm not, a, I'm technically not a millennial, right? I, I turned 38 today. So I missed the millennial status by, I think, a couple months or whatever it may be. But I found myself living in my parents' basement. And my dad, and I, and I was very, very hard on myself um, because I made several hundred thousand dollars a year before. 
put a lot of money into starting my business, uh, some personal mm -hmm. situations that I went through and not having anything left. So my dad came downstairs one time and, and we were in the basement and he always likes to say, make sure you tell people it's a really nice basement, which it was. It was a very nice finished basement <laughs> in Kansas, right? It's not like I was living Beautiful. in a concrete shelter. Um, and, and he said, what, what's going on? And I was just really down on myself. And he said, look, he goes, you're 30 years old. You have your whole life ahead of you. This is a really Amen. small blurb in, in, your, in the scheme of things. You, had a, you made a really bad decision. You paid for it and move on because you're healthy, you're smart, you know what you're doing. And I didn't raise a quitter. Um, so from that moment on, it just, it just really hit me that I, I had an opportunity for a second chance and was given an opportunity to be hired on with a company called Highland Homes in Dallas, Texas. Now it was, oh, yeah, it I was, love Highland Homes. My first um, boss was a former um, division president for one of the Highland markets. Um, and so even though I never worked for them directly, I always feel like I went through their training program because uh, they were just always talking about uh, a lot of the processes and, and culture there. So now I'm there, even more interested to hear how your story changes. So I, uh, I got, I got a, an interview set up in Dallas, Texas, and they flew me in and I get picked up in a limo. Uh, and I've never been picked up by a limo before. I've never had anybody stand nice. with my name on a board. And I was like, wow. And I, I didn't even know because Highland is only in Texas. I didn't even know much about mm -hmm. them. And I said, what in the world's going on here? This is pretty cool. And the driver was like, hey, what do you what do you do? And I was like, I sell homes. And he goes, you must be really <laughs> good. And I was like, I sure hope so. Because, you know, I, I fell into this personal <laughs> rut that it was, I was just in a bad place. And I ended up meeting the owner of the company, Gene Ann, and we hit it off. And we talked for almost five hours in that in that interview where she looked down and she said, what time is your flight? And I told her and she said, you better get out of here. And, and, you know, next thing I know, I'm moving to Dallas and keep in mind, I didn't have any money. So I leaned on my sister who was living here and I said, Hey, I don't have any money. I'm embarrassed to ask mom and dad for some, do you care if I move in with you now? It's and, pretty... and she doesn't have a basement because it's Dallas, right? Exactly. Yeah. Now keep it. <laughs> here's the good thing with this is, you know, she was very smart and bought her house in Dallas uh, a while back where you could get a 4,000 square foot home for 200 grand. So she had a huge wow. home. So I, I moved in with her and talk about having to really swallow your pride where we used to joke about who was going to make the most amount of money every year to, Hey, Nikki, I'm, flat broke. I can't even afford to have an apartment. Do you care if I move in with you? And she was pregnant at the time with, with their first and her husband's a phenomenal guy. He's a firefighter. And they're like, yeah, not a problem. So they lived really far South in, in Dallas and I was working really far North and it took about two hours to get to work every day, two hours there, two hours back. Oh, wow. And she's, and it got to the point where she was like, look, my kid's about to come. Do you mind getting out of my house? Because we would we would like to have some <laughs> private time before uh, you know before the baby comes. So it forced me to get an apartment, uh, which was which was all good. But you know, it was a it was a great life lesson that it's okay to fall on hard times if you have people around you that care and to swallow your pride and to recognize that you don't have to do everything yourself. Because without you know without my sister, I could never have made it. You fast forwarded about seven months after being here in Dallas, and I was hired on to eventually be a sales manager for Highland Homes. But because I was never in the Texas market, they wanted to throw me in sales. 
Now, keep in mm -hmm. mind, I haven't just sold homes. Like that was my only job since 2005. It's now 2011. So take it six years. And I'm in there selling homes and they put me in this community that sold six homes in the previous 12 months. And I was like, oh my gosh, I thought oh. I was poor before. I'm really going to be poor now. Um, <laughs> you know, how am I going to, how am I going to make this happen? And I just put my, you know, everything I always knew as a manager, I just put into place and I sold 42 homes in seven months. And I totally turned that thing around and, and got some attention on it. And people were very impressed with what I did. On the flip side for me, I sat back and said, this is the easiest job I've ever had. If, you know, selling houses and not to take away anything for people to sell houses, uh, because it is a very difficult job and it's very time consuming. But when you only have to worry about yourself uh, and not have to worry about an entire mm -hmm. team, it was a different mentality for me. And, and I absolutely yeah. loved it. Well, I, I was dating a, a girl at the time and she had moved to Dallas. And when you're in sales, as you know, you work weekends. And in Texas, you work till seven o'clock at night. It just it just wasn't working. She didn't know anybody. I didn't know anybody. When it was time for her weekend, you know, I was working, and when it was my weekend, she was working. And I just knew that if I wanted the relationship to work, staying in sales, regardless of the fact that I could have easily made five hundred thousand dollars selling homes that year, it just didn't make any sense. And so Dunhill mm -hmm. Dunhill Homes, which at the time was only about six months old, came came knocking on the door, and the CEO of the company is a former regional president of Pulte Del Webb. And he kept asking me to go to coffee with him. Well, he was asking me to go to coffee for free advice on how he should run things. And finally, he said, you know, you should just come over and, and run, run my sales team. And I just laughed. And I said, well, how much are you going to pay me? And I'm not even going to say the number because it's embarrassing that I actually accepted it. Um, but let's just say he got me for one heck of a deal. And yeah, well, you were, you're willing at that point to make the trade-off that always happens. And this is for the marketers listening who don't have this sales growth often is a trade-off of commission versus uh well not even freedom or you are free from the chain of a model home and model home hours you still have to put in the time but you're usually making less and that that's a like you have to make that choice and be okay with it when you're when you're shifting into the next gear gear in your career in sales you you nailed it. I mean, you gotcha. there's definitely the top salespeople in my organization double what I make, uh, even as a mm -hmm. vice vice president of operations or sales and marketing. And that's just the way that it is really with any organization, but really here in Texas. And so fast forward and inside of my office, I wish this was a video podcast because I actually have a superhero that's on my wall and he's in a Dunhill Homes cape and he's giving me the thumbs up right now. And I keep it there because it was one of the first things that I worked on. And we, his name was Purchase Power Phil. And we did this, we did this really horrible marketing campaign about interest rates are going up. And with the purchase power that Phil can give you by buying a home today, you can afford this much more of a Dunhill home. And I thought it was such a good idea at the time that I made almost life-size superheroes and put them in the backyards of all of our models. It was such a bad idea that this thing sits and stares at me all the time. And why I keep it? Because people come in my office, they're like, why do you keep that thing? And I said, it's a reminder of where I've been and how far we've come. And one of the great things about Dunhill is that the CEO gives me a really nice budget and he just gets the heck out of my way. And he lets me mm -hmm. do anything I want. And as long as he's making money, right? Let's put the caveat, as long as we're selling houses and we're profitable, he lets me do anything I want. 
And we've been very fortunate that we are the seventh fastest growing company in all of Dallas-Fort Worth. We're one of the fastest growing home builders in the country, and we're getting ready to expand into five new markets here in the next two years. And it's exciting. There's great things Holy to come. Cow. Yeah, great oh things. My. Awesome. Rolling back, you have the marketing background and sales background. Which one do you, at your heart, getting uh, emotional here, which one do you really relate to more? Like which one, which one? I have, I have two phenomenal, <laughs> I have two phenomenal marketing uh, gals that work for me, Lindsay Bryson and Melanie Clark. And these two gals are my world at work. And without them, we wouldn't be where we are. And it is a constant battle to, you know, and I know my sales team is going to hear this. So I apologize to them up front. It is a constant battle to have <laughs> those two girls stop calling the sales team names because you know, they they get so passionate about the marketing and they don't understand why the salespeople mm -hmm. just won't do it or why they will just won't record yep. it. And why are there, why are they putting on the registration cards that everybody coming through the door saw a billboard or a sign or, you know, why aren't they just doing the CRM system like they're supposed to? And why won't they mark their buyers and lasso as purchasers? And, you know, they get very, they get very passionate about what they do. And then I have to remind them, Hey, Salespeople are odd people. These are people that work 100% on commission. And so cut them some slack. They're not good at paperwork. They're not good traditionally at CRM. They're not good at a lot of things that from a marketing standpoint, we just want to ring them around their neck and say, it's not that stinking hard. So, you know, Andrew, you asked me, which one do yeah. I, which one do I lean towards? Um, I would probably say more towards the sales side because that's where I come from. But I also know from the marketing side, that without good marketing, we're screwed. And marketing has changed so much in the last three years for the previous 12 years of my business that if you're not constantly evolving or changing or networking or reaching out or going to conferences and learning, you're going to be, you're going to be jobless very, very soon. And I mean, I can't even, can't even imagine where we're going to go in two years with marketing. It's, it's awesome. But you know, there's this thing that we always tell our salespeople, technology is not going to replace the salesperson, but the salesperson that utilizes technology is going to replace the one that doesn't. And where that comes into play is, is that much of marketing today is technology based. It's not putting ads yeah. in the newspaper anymore. It's not throwing a billboard up. It's not, you know, it's not printing yep. marketing slicks. It is the back end of a website. It is the SEO. It is the SEM and the analytics and understanding social media and understanding how a buyer ticks and you know you name it it's so different today that if you graduated college I would imagine any older than five years ago you weren't taught any of this stuff we're, we're learning as we go yeah we're yeah. even seeing recent college graduates in the past year um, they're not getting they don't even talk about Google Analytics or looking at data and, and analyzing all. it in the way that it's really used so Chris, what I heard you say and, and what I do believe, but I'm curious how a, you know, at the, at the end of it, I would say you're, you're a leader first, um, but you're still there. A lot of your thought process may come from the sales side, but you're, you're balanced with the marketing. But, you know, eight, 10 years ago, I remember the very first sales manager that I ever saw where his name was John Ceranic and Miranda Holmes. I think he's still there. Um, and he would talk to the guys about, you know, guerrilla marketing and get out your business cards and, you're responsible for all of your own traffic. And yes, we have newspaper ads, but you better get out there and hit the streets and pass out your business cards, put them on the cork boards at all the coffee shops. And, and even then I just, I was thinking like, I don't, I, I have not sold a home myself uh, at this point, but like, really like they have to do all of it. And now 
I think partly because of the role of technology and how it's used in marketing, but also just because that's the way it should have been all the way along is you're highly specialized. You're highly good at this one skill. And that even, even saying that sounds like the wrong way to say it. It's not, it's this broad range of skills that lets you interact with other humans in a very um, specific way, make emotional connections, build trust, build rapport, help them make decisions that are hard and have fun doing it like that. That's enough. And so now where I feel like uh, marketing used to be that top 10% and the other 90% was up to sales, it really has flipped. Like you're saying is that marketing is now responsible for so much of the messaging and interactions with customers before they walk through the door. I feel like that's a great thing because it lets sales focus on those areas that they excel at naturally. But I'm curious how you as a sales leader see it. The, it similarly, differently, just what, what you think. Yeah, about that. you know, that's a great question. And as, as you were talking and you were explaining that, I think what has actually happened, and I agree with you because I've been doing this for so long, that a long time and a long time ago, we were tasked with finding new guerrilla marketing ideas from the salesperson's perspective and marketing simply printed flyers and put up a billboard and put an ad in a newspaper, right? Whereas today you flip that 15 years and I feel like my sales team thinks that 90% of the people coming through the door should be marketing's responsibility and they should only be responsible for 10% of a realtor relationship if they have a referral, which is a very frustrating thing from my side of as a sales leader or an operations leader is, is you look at this and you say, yeah, marketing is still very important and they're there to drive traffic and sales. But so should your relationships with real estate agents. So should your relationship with your customers. So you're building referrals. What are you doing to drive it? Yep. And, and I feel like it sometimes ends yep. up, and especially when, in a month when we're not having a good month, people start to point fingers. And it's, it's very easy for marketing to say, if those dumb, dumb salespeople just didn't do what they were supposed to. And then it's easy for the salespeople <laughs> to say, what the heck is marketing doing up at corporate all the time? Are they just playing around on the internet? You know, if, if either side ever really saw what the other side did, there would be a completely new respect for it. And, and that's where I see, you know, I see Melanie and, and Lindsay working, uh, you know, really long hours. And I see how hard they work to try to drive the traffic to the team. So I understand their frustration when the response on the traffic report for the week is signage. Um, you know, and then I see on the salesperson's perspective sure. where they're 100% commissioned and they have families and they have to figure out a way to get it. And if they only see four people through the door, they're going to say, why am I only seeing four people through the door? Is this, is this community getting more attention than I'm getting? It is a delicate balance. And as we're starting to see things soften here in yeah. Dallas, Fort Worth, and, and possibly I don't, and that's necessarily soften, maybe correct themselves throughout the country, it's going to be those mm-hmm. salespeople that are the best and those marketers that are the best that their companies are going to survive. Everybody else that's been riding this wave is going to either be bought by somebody or they're just going to go out of business. Yeah, that synergy has to be there. And to clarify that 90-10 that I was talking about is I think, you know, once that customer comes in contact, like you said, the salesperson has to own that relationship, realtor or prospect, 100% from that point forward. And the energy, though, has to be focused on that. Whereas before, I think just that initial touch, a lot of times home builders just said, you're responsible for the vast majority of those, of finding those. If they don't walk in, you better go find them uh, out in the ether. And so marketing is now tasked with getting those people there. And I do think still salespeople are challenged with those four, four, the number four, you said we have four people walk in the model home. Mm -hmm. And this is a question we got at the summit. We get all the time is 
well, Kevin, my walk-in traffic is lower than it was last year or last month. And the that kind of the panic or worry. And, you know, you, you kind of smile and say, get used to that. You know, the people coming through should by all accounts be lower in quantity, but higher in quality if you follow up and own the relationship. And that's, that's the difference is just trying to channel that sales energy. But it's hard, right, Chris, if, if you're used to interacting with people face-to-face, now we're asking them to use all these other tools. And I want to talk a little bit about some of the other tools you're testing right now with Atlas and, and EnterNow and all the rest. But it's got to be hard for a sales-oriented person to not have that same face-to-face inflection of body language and tone to get excited about follow-up. Well, you're exactly right. And what's happening in the marketplace is people coming through the door are significantly less than they've ever been. But the people coming through your door have, they're on step eight of 10. Whereas, you know, I look back 2003 when I started in the business, you know, we barely used a website, you know, Pulte Homes had a website, but I don't even remember the website. And I remember if you wanted to look at a floor plan in reverse, you held it up backwards to a light where now you, now, (laughs) now you push a button. And so your traffic is coming through the door is a lot smaller, but you know, conversion rates, you know, you look at a conversion rate from a salesperson, you say, okay, one in 10 is a good conversion rate. So one in 10 people I'm going to see, I'm going to sell a home to. So if your goal is to sell three homes a month, then you, you better see at least 30 people, right? But if that 30 people is now down to 18, then your conversion rate technically has to get significantly better. So you got to hone your skills as a salesperson. But salespeople will know that if you go through an entire week and you see four people, sometimes when that person walks through the, through the door, you're completely caught off your game and you're not, you're not ready to perform at your best. You know, there's a saying that the best time to sell a home is right after you just sold one because you're on this high. Exactly. Well, if you haven't sold a home in mm-hmm. 30, 45 days and the people coming through the door, you know, I, I joke that there's, there's certain types of thing, people that can smell fear. It's dogs, bees, and prospects. And when I say prospects is, you know, and Jeff Shore calls it commission breath. They walk through the door and they, in the minute you say hello, it's like, you're just breathing on them that you're desperate. And it's, it's gotta be this fine balance. But as the market changes, marketing is, is going to be everything. Um, and it is, it is quickly going to be the only thing that's going to keep a, a company in business. And with our company being one of 94 home builders in DFW, and we have every national home builder you can think of, it's a dogfight to get somebody to pay attention to you, which then comes back to the customer experience. If you look at what's changed the most in the last 15 years, if we got a bad survey, and, and I don't want to say we ever threw that thing in the trash, but we probably had several trash bags full of bad surveys in the past. To today, <laughs> it doesn't take anything for somebody to blast you on uh, Google or Yelp or Facebook. Right. and. And then you're reacting and you're trying to change it because one bad statement can really hurt an entire backlog. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the customers are in charge and you better treat them all. You know, we used to say all the time, you don't have to treat a bad customer who's behaving poorly. You don't have to give them the most amazing service you've ever given any individual, but you still have to give them that minimum standard that you have as a company because the story will come out. So you can't just say this person's an idiot. I'm going to treat them as such. You still have to hold that minimum standard. So uh, before I switch to, to sales and marketing tools that you're testing out, how have you found, what ways have you found or have been successful to get sales and marketing to stay on the same page? I mean, I'm sure that's a big challenge as a leader of, of both 
organizations, but have you found anything that works well? Yeah, I would say, and this is the same in sales management, you can't manage sitting in an office. You can't market sitting in an office away from your sales team. The The marketing team needs uh-huh. to go see what the competition is doing. There's no secrets in home building. If somebody's doing something better, let's make it even better than that and throw our logo on it and say it's ours. But the same thing with a with having marketing people sit down with the salespeople. Having the marketing team present in front of sales has the sales team believe that they are being supported. Whether the marketing team's doing anything different or not, having them present in front of sales and making them part of the sales rallies, having them be a part of events or dinners or breakfasts or whatever it may be, making sure that the sales team knows that the marketing team is the same team as what they are. That's that's key. Yep. Yep. And I would say to the marketers listening, it's really important for you to understand that just because the data is showing you one thing and your sales team is giving you feedback that seems like it's in, it's not connecting with what you're seeing in the data, it still is incredibly important. Like you can't ignore the feelings that are being shared with you from your sales team. If they think that X, Y, or Z is preventing them from selling homes, you can't ignore it. You have to address it and support it in any way possible. Like you're saying, Chris, it doesn't mean that you're going to shift your budget back to billboards because they feel like no one knows who your company is. But it does mean that you can still empathize and say, hey, I really understand that. And while I can't put all the money back in billboards because that wouldn't be wise, try to find some way, some middle ground to not necessarily with dollars, but with empathy and an attention that proves you're listening. I, I think that also just helps sales start to feel like they're, you know, you are a teammate of theirs. Even if, like you said, Chris, they don't have to act yeah. on it all. It's just that, that empathy and, and listening and taking the time to be in the field with them so that they know that you understand. Yeah, they're completely from. agree. Completely agree. So what new sales and marketing tools are you uh, using? Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the, as I said earlier, one of the coolest things about working at Dunhill and Nathan Carlisle Homes is I get a budget and I get to more or less spend it any way that I want to. And I believe, Kevin, you may have been the one in, in previous conversation where you say you should put X amount of percentage away for research. And that is for the, for the cool new mm-hmm. pet project that you want. Well, I almost feel like my entire budget is a cool new pet project because if something... If something, <laughs> if something comes up, you know, when you compete against, I think there's 27 national home builders in DFW, when you compete against the big guys, you have to do something different. And our advantage is that we're mobile. We can change and shift on a dime. We can try something new. We can switch the website. We can try new products, whatever it may be, that the other guys are going to have to go up 12 layers to get an approval. And by that time, there's probably already something right. cool out. So a good, a good friend of mine from Destination Home, Scott Lolly, uh, was working with a company called Atlas RTX. And he's like, dude, you're always looking for the newest and cool thing to bring to your team. I think this is right up your alley. And Atlas RTX is a chatbot system uh, through text messaging. And I was like, oh my gosh, for somebody like myself, who's, uh, you know, my wife hates this, attached to their phone 24 hours a day, a text message always gets answered. But I get 600 emails a day. Those do not always get answered. Um, and so I reached out to the team over at Atlas RTX and I said, okay, what, what do we got going here? And at the time they only had a few builders that were trying it out and they were losing momentum on the home builder side. And I said, well, there's something to this. I believe that, you know, emailing prospects is we're getting an open rate, maybe 14%. And we're thinking that's good. There's gotta be something better than this. 
So we worked with them on coming up with a beta test with a few members of my sales team. And with anything that we roll out, we do not roll it out to the entire team. Because I feel that if any, anything in life, yeah. if you force it upon somebody, they're not going to do it. But if you give a few players on your sales team an opportunity to play with something and they're successful with it, then word of mouth is going to have the rest of them want to do it. And then then they've self-convinced themselves to follow what I wanted them to do all along. It's it's it somewhat looks ge- somewhat looks genius. Yeah. It's not genius. It's just letting people do what they think they want to do, right? And by the way, that is the only way that you will ever get CRM adoption in your sales Completely organization. Agree. The only time I've ever seen CRM adoption really work across the entire sales organization, uh, it's twice, uh, maybe three times of all the home builder. And I, when, I, when I say that even, I mean like 85% adoption, not 100%, is when the online sales team starts using it first and they get the results. And then the sales team says, I want that. So just like you're saying, anything you, you got to prove internally, um, not just third party yep. that, it, that it's working. Uh, so I think that's... It's, it's right huge. You got it. You got to let them do that. And you know, my team is at 85% in lasso. And it's funny because marketing's like 85%. What about the other 15%? I'm like, Hey, 85% is really <laughs> awesome. Like back off. Yeah. Back World off class. a little bit, you know, don't, don't be so yeah. hard on them. Um, but so we, we got with Atlas RTX and we started using the system and my sales team did not take to it at first. And the reason they didn't take to it is that because they were having to enter it into a uh, into the Atlas system, and then they were still required to enter it into Lasso. Well, getting a salesperson to put a lead into one place is more is difficult enough, much alone have them do it twice, right? And so I said, okay, well, I mm-hmm. believe in this. And the results we were getting for the ones that were getting the, the chatbot were amazing. And so I, I put the two teams together, Lasso and Atlas RTX at the International Builder Show this last January, and they immediately hit it off. Well, for one, because both teams are just full of incredible people. And they just built the relationship right there. And they said, okay, what is your vision? And I said, my vision is simple. We put a lead into Lasso. It automatically goes into Atlas and the the system automatically fires out a text message to ask them how their experience was. And based upon their response, I want it Mm -hmm. to filter into Lasso in one of my A, B, C, or D categories. That simple. And they're like, well, that sounds easy enough. And it probably wasn't even... (laughs) <laughs> Six weeks later and the system was working and then the whole dang team is on Atlas. And as a sales leader, I'm getting text message alerts and I'm seeing people give us a score of an eight, nine or a 10 or how much they love us. And we were converting leads significantly faster. I mean, we were converting things within two weeks. And what's funny about that, and I tell the marketing team this all the time, salespeople pay attention to the bright, shiny object in the room. They pay attention to they pay attention to the A's. Mm-hmm. They're not paying attention to the B, C's, and D's. They're just not. They want you to pay attention to those people. But the A's, they're all over. I mean, that's that's prime commission right there. That's that's going to get them their next fun toy. Is is the A lead? So they're getting notified from a customer, and we were getting response rates over eighty percent. People were responding eighty percent. So responding to a text message eighty percent, responding to an email fourteen percent. It's a no brainer. So then we took it even a step farther, and I, I kept getting an email from this company called InterNow. And, and you guys both know, when you're in this business, you get a lot of solicitation um, to, to try a new product. Yep. And very, very All few bad. of them actually have me open the email even. But this one, this one guy in this company called InterNow, I was getting emails all the time. I mean, talk about almost a borderline stalker. And I told him this too. I said, you should get an award. You should either go to prison for stalking me or you should get an award for not giving up on me. But he sent me this video 
And and by the way, I think think the world of the guy. He sent me this video and it explained what inner now was. And it's in essence a lock on a door that you can use an app or you can call to get into a completed inventory home without having to have the salesperson help you. Now, some sales managers that just heard that probably freaked out and they said, Well, the whole point is to have the whole point mm -hmm. is to have my salespeople talk to them. But let's be real and, and let's think about this. I don't buy my groceries by going to the grocery store. I do it by going online. Everything I purchase is through Amazon through my thumb. I don't even know the last time I went inside of a store to buy anything because I don't really want to deal with the people that I'm running into. If you ever go to a car lot on a Sunday, it's the busiest day because car lots are not generally open on Sundays. So I thought to myself, well, how many times have I gone through a new home community, went to test out the door in a spec home and it was locked and I just drove off because I didn't want to go talk to the salesperson all the all the dang time right mm -hmm. so we put these on we got seven locks and we put them on and we sold all seven of those houses within two weeks and i said holy cow now we're a 400 wow. unit home builder that does 50 percent awesome. specs 50 percent dirt that's you know 200 homes of mine will be spec huge that's a big deal. i immediately within six weeks had 50 locks and you're thinking to yourself holy cow you have 50 completed inventory homes well i don't have 50 i have about 35 um, but various stages, my number one time of day when people are looking and walking into my inner now homes is before church. Cause here on, here in Texas on Sundays, we don't open till we don't open till hmm. noon. Everybody is coming between 10 and noon. And then this give you this, another one, 4th of July, we're closing on 4th of July. We had 32 people into enter into inner now homes on 4th of July. And we sold six of them with follow-up. Those are people we would not have been able to see before. That's awesome. So what's even great, what's even better about all this thing is I said, okay, well, inner now leads are text messaging me as a sales leader. They're text messaging my salespeople, uh, but I want them to go into Lasso. So what do we do? We simply call Lasso. We call inner now. We call Atlas RTX. We say, hey, we have a really awesome idea for you. Why don't you all talk to each other? You yeah, you along. guys get along. And you know what? Uh, as of last week, this past weekend, Everybody that entered into an inner now house automatically went into Lasso, and we're now working on a time delay because we don't want them to immediately get a text message from Atlas RTX asking how their experience was when they haven't been through a house. We're putting it on a 45-minute right. delay. Right. And then based upon their response, my sales team is going to know how to follow up. Now, a typical sales leader is just going to freak out about all this and say, you just totally took the salesperson out of the prospect process. No, I didn't. I just made it that much easier for your salesperson. I made it that much easier for you as a manager to be able to track the leads that are coming through the door. And the buyers, if they really want to talk to your sales team or they're really interested, they are going to engage. Your, your salespeople are going to spend time with the people that want to spend time with them. That's what we're doing here. Yeah, I think as long as the product is positioned well, the pricing is competitive. You know, the one thing that I always um, am concerned about is just that experience of, and maybe you guys do this. Uh, ha have a solution to this is just walking into a dark home versus, you know, that kind of experience that should be happening. Although we know it, it doesn't where a salesperson is taking you into a, all the lights are on, there's background music. So just that, that emotional feeling may be a little bit different, but at the same time, it's kind of like coming home from work in the house that, you know, if you buy it, that's what it's going to look like when you, when you come in, but just maybe them making some incorrect assumptions. I don't know if you've ever seen any data or, or have stories of where people thought, you know, maybe the fridge is not included when it is, or, uh, you know, any, any of that that you've seen or am I No, you bring that, up a good point. Uh, and it's, um, 
you know, where, where we found our sales team actually getting lazy, and, and I would caution anybody who's looking to use this, is a prospect was walking through the model and the salesperson was getting all of the correct information from them. And then they would say, <laughs> oh, well, that house has an in-and-out box on it. You can just get in it yourself. Well, holy cow, that, that freaked me out from a sales manager perspective. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not the idea behind that lock is for you to be lazy. The idea behind that lock is for them to enter when either they don't want to talk to you or it's after hours or before hours. If you have a live prospect that you want to go right. tour through the house, nothing is ever going to replace human interaction. And, and I want to make that known too. Nothing is ever going to replace the online sales manager. Nothing is ever going to replace the on-site sales manager because they can understand emotion. Whereas some of the technologies today cannot. So the human interaction is still key. So you still have to have a rock star online sales staff to be able to manage these. And if we have a good follow-up system sure. on that, the sales team is taught to respond to these prospects to ask the question of, you know, what can I do to assist you in your house? And then they follow the, you know, the Jeff Shore 4-2 formula. And then, then we go from there. Yeah, I know you're right on AI. Um, you know, if the response of why are you looking to move? And someone says, I just got divorced. The AI does not know how to <laughs> change the empathy and the, you know, right. That's still going to have to come from a human to, to say, oh my yeah. gosh, I'm, I'm so sorry you're going through that and, and shift on a dime. Okay, Chris, uh, we're going long here. I'm going to call an audible, Andrew. We're not going to do any question of the week or anything else. We're just going to close out here with Chris. But before we do, um, what's the biggest mistake you've made as a home builder? Um, the, the one, something that you've tried that was total failure. We talked about, you know, at the summit, Becca's takeaway was just, you know, try and fail and try and fail. Anything that you would just say, man, that was, that was a bad. Wow. Idea. I mean, there's so many of them over the last, you know, six and a half years working here. I, I would, I would think purchase power. <laughs> Phil was a pretty <laughs> honesty. How about specifically okay. from the, from the marketing end since, since this is a marketing. Yeah. Podcast, oh my gosh. I mean, we, and not to say that direct mail is dead, but I think if you're going to do direct mail, one, it's expensive. Uh, you have to do it repeatedly. And we just didn't have the budget to, to have the impact. Even here recently, we, we were tasked with getting a whole bunch of leads for our active adult outside of the Dallas Fort Worth market. So we hired an email marketing campaign, so to speak. We got, we spent we spent a lot of money to get two leads. And it's it's one of those things that, you know, your your CEO oh, or wow. your president will always task you with, well, you should try this. And when they're above you and they ultimately, you know, call the shots, you're going to try it, even if yeah. you know for a fact it's not going to work. Um, those are some of the biggest mistakes. And, and really, website mistakes are the other, the other yeah. thing is is big website errors on our side and and, you know, us believing certain things without actually testing them. Very, very, very foolish. Awesome. Um, I can't help myself. One last question. Uh, what do you? What is your superpower? What do you think you're uniquely uh, skilled at doing? Um, I can go a really long time without sleeping, and I know that that sounds really hor. I know that sounds really horrible, but I'm I'm training for a marathon <laughs> right now. Uh, just moved into a new house, have a baby on the way. Um, you know, new brand, new job title, new a lot of things, and. You know, we're all given the same 24 hours a day. It's just how you spend that 24 hours. And, and mine is generally not spent sleeping. Or watching TV, I imagine. Yeah, I don't. I do not watch a lot of TV. That is true. <laughs> hey, Chris, thanks so much for hopping on with us. Um, yeah, you should go back and check out Chris's uh, podcast with uh, Anya. Um, I feel like you were somewhere else recently, too. If people want to hear more about your story, where would they go? Um, you know, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm not on Facebook. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn quite a bit. And then I'm going to be on another podcast here uh, called The Cannonball Mindset here pretty soon. Oh, yes. So, 
Sansegrin. Yeah. Yep. So Chad's Chad's a marathon runner himself, and he's trying to talk me into running an ultra, uh, which is twi- twice as long as a regular marathon. So I'm pretty sure Ooh. that's never going to happen. No pressure, but he's got <laughs> so we'll like, real yeah. guests from Vayner Media and guys running across the Sahara. So. Yeah, well, you know what's funny is I actually told Chad. I said, "Dude, you need to bring on some losers before you bring me on." And he just, he just is that laughed. why he sent me an I email? Said, I'm just kidding. Yeah, no. Hey, you're you're far better than me. Trust me. Oh, so I was like, I don't I don't think I'm qualified oh, for your man. podcast. Awesome. We'll we'll be on the lookout for it. Hey, thanks again, Chris, for joining us. Everyone, you should go connect with Chris. Uh, you are a master on LinkedIn. I think you've taken over that social platform. By the way, you know it's the only one I'm on, so you might as well be good at it. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, that'll do it for us here. Uh, We'll see you again next week. Be sure to check out doyouconvert.com for articles, blog posts, and more. Have a fantastic week. We'll see you next time.